Welcome to Nonprofit Thursdays, where we educate, elevate, engage, and encourage nonprofit organizations and the people who love them. Our topic today is nonprofit leadership, and it's not for the faint of heart. Someone said, if you call yourself a leader and no one's following you, then you're just taking a walk. So with our guest today, we want to talk about how to talk and how to walk nonprofit leadership. She has been a leader of nonprofits, uh, both internationally and in this country. She has uh, shown the way to uh, so many great ways of making sure that boards are involved. She is a wonderful leader in terms of how she looks at staff and how she engages them. Her name is Miera Nagaz and she is the executive director of the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding. Welcome, Miera. First, Gatsby, I just want to say what a pleasure it is to be here with you. Uh, You're someone that I admire so much and like enormously. So just thank you for the opportunity to chat with you. Uh, You're so welcome. And you know, it's so (laughs) mutual. You're one of my favorite people in the world. So uh, yeah, let's let's deal with this this thing called yeah. leadership, nonprofit leadership, which I think falls into a special category. And what kind of mindset uh, must a nonprofit leader have? I think that the number one thing is a is a mindset of service. Um, nonprofit leadership is not for the faint-hearted, <laughs> um, and it really requires you to want to help people with whatever your mission might be. Um, So the the mindset really has to be one of of service and sort of doing the best that you can every day so that you can uh, help others thrive and be the best that they can be. Um, So that's the one top line thing I would say. Yes. And we hear a lot about servant leadership. What is that? I don't think it, I think it means um, really working your best every day. As a nonprofit leader, you gain a lot, right? You, you, you gain satisfaction. You, of course, get paid as a nonprofit leader. But I don't think any nonprofit leader gets into the nonprofit business for themselves, right? It does make you feel good to do good things in the world, but you're not there to make money or have fancy cars or, um, you know, that's not the motivation. And so I do think there is an element of service uh, for every nonprofit leader. Um, And this idea of servant leadership is really about um, being in service of others. And, And that's very important. Some people, and there's a myth out there, that some people believe that nonprofit leaders are so passionate and so altruistic that they're not as smart as corporate and business leaders. Share your thoughts on that. Yeah, that makes me so frustrated. (laughs) Um, There's definitely a feeling, I think, among some that if you decide to work in nonprofit Uh, leadership, that you are taking a vow of poverty, (laughs) you know, that you are um, not as professionalized, that the sector isn't as professionalized. And honestly, that could not be farther 
from the truth. I think every nonprofit leader that I know is incredibly professional. Um, They know what they're doing. They have studied and learned and honed their expertise over many, many years. Um, And it it is an increasingly professionalized sector. So this idea that, you know, I think historically, um, some nonprofit work has been volunteer work and that, and that continues today and largely sort of identified with women who were traditionally at home and therefore they didn't need to make as much money or, you know, this was kind of the, the, the mindset sometimes around what nonprofit leadership looks like, that it's a bunch of volunteers who don't really need to be professional or make much money. And that is just absolutely not the truth. I don't think it was ever the truth, and it's definitely not the truth these days. Yes, I, that is, I would agree, a very misplaced uh, opinion. In fact, uh, some of the smartest people on the planet that I know are nonprofit leaders. So that busts that myth altogether. So there's another quote I wanted to share with you and get your reaction to. Uh, Someone said, and it was a mother at uh, my church said, if you call yourself a leader and no one's following you, then you're just taking a walk. Have you ever felt that way? (laughs) I've definitely heard this phrase before and it always makes me laugh. (laughs) Um, I have heard this before. And I think in some ways it captures a piece of leadership and it's true to some degree, but um, there are many things I take issue with (laughs) with it. Um, I think it does capture the idea that, you know, if you're a leader, you do need to build consensus. You, You do need to sort of rally people behind ideas and actions or policies and processes. But there are a couple of areas where I think there needs to be some nuance around it. Um, One is that leaders sometimes need to make difficult decisions, right? And those decisions are not always, leaders need to be ahead of the curve. They need to be anticipating things. And sometimes that means proposing ideas that are not yet popular and waiting for others to catch up with them. And that may take some time. There may be a lag time where you don't have a lot of people walking <laughs> walking with you, right? But if it's the right thing to do, it's worth taking the time to build that support. So the second area where I, you know, question this comment, I guess, or this this phrase is around defining what's acceptable numbers that define leadership. So, you know, in the days of social media, I think a lot of people's self-worth or a lot of judgment is made about how many followers you have, right? And and there's sort of this assumption that if you have more followers on Facebook, um, that you're more of a leader in some ways, which I, that is not an effective measure at, at all. I don't think of leadership. Um, you know, the, the number of followers doesn't automatically confer leader status. And I think we need to be careful of that. Yes, I would agree um, with you totally. Uh, we call those influencers these days, yeah. but at the same time, uh, that measurement should not be assigned to leaders, especially non, nonprofit leaders. So I wanted to, to uh, delve into something that I've seen up close and personal, and that is your ability to gain consensus. 
And uh, let's talk about how you have gone about gaining consensus on your board and what it has meant to the organization. You know, gaining consensus is such an important aspect of leadership. Um, you know, a, a bad leader can just tell people what to do and expect them to do it. <laughs> In fact, a, a friend's six-year-old daughter, a, a young girl named Amaya, um, she understood this implicitly. She said the other day, you know, when you're a good leader, you ask, may I help you? And when you're a bad leader, you just tell people what to do and you just sit back. <laughs> and I think, you know, gain, she understood implicitly that gaining consensus um, is a really important aspect of leadership. Um, I think that I uh, tackle that by listening to people. You know, I have ideas of what I want to see or what I want accomplished, but I really value hearing from others about how they think that can be done and having real genuine conversations around what is the best way to achieve our shared goal. And, and that's the thing, you have to come to a consensus first about what that shared goal might be. And then you have to have hard discussions about how to, how to do that most effectively. Um, I do that by just having real conversations, genuine conversations, and really listening to people um, and considering all of the options and then hopefully all seeing that one particular option is probably the most effective way to go, or at least the majority uh, of people, you know, might think that that's the. Yes. And you do that so very well. It's so obvious that you value other people's opinion. Um, and so as a result, there is a trust relationship that you really are so very good at building. So we see that there is a season of a pandemic, COVID-19. You're faced with it like everyone else. And you had to engage in some scenario planning in order to look towards the future. I'd, I'd like for you to talk about that uh, a bit, how you went through it, how you were introduced to it, and what you did. Yeah, I mean, this is just a really challenging time for everybody, and nonprofit leaders are no different. Um, and in some ways, you know, nonprofits uh, have the additional challenge of the domino effect, where if people and many people are being squeezed in their own lives and, and having, you know, facing real hardship on so many levels, um, that that trickles to the nonprofit sector, which relies so much on individual donations and, and foundation uh, support. Um, so scenario planning is tough, right? Because you're trying to balance uncertainty with boxing yourself in, I guess. Mm, mm -hmm. of, tough. Right? It's really tough because none of us knows. The one thing that I think we've all learned over the past seven months is that we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You can't plan it. So you can think about different scenarios that might happen and you can put different potential options on the table and have that as an internal document that you say, okay, if this happens, then I will do X, Y, or mm -hmm. Z. 
Um, but the reality is that there are so many different scenarios in this situation that could play out that even the best laid plans might not be the ones that actually occur. Yes. And what were your top three? Scenario um, A, B, and C, what were they? Yeah. So scenario A is that, you know, despite the pandemic and the despite the hardship people are facing, um, donations continue on the same or even perhaps swell a little bit with people feeling like they want to support their their, their fellow man uh, and women. Um, so that's one scenario that things stay much the same. Scenario B is that people are facing a lot of hardship and donations start to drop off, uh, you know, by 20%. Um, or 10%. I can't remember, honestly, the amount that we put on plan B. Um, but looking at sort of a, a, a drop in, in donations. And then the plan C was a more precipitous drop in donations. And what would we do if it came to the point where we really had a budgetary crisis? And so with that, did you ever, was that your worst case scenario, the, the plan C? Yeah, I mean, I think in the case of our organization or our, the organization that I'm proud to, to lead, um, funding really was the main thing that we looked at. We are very lucky in that we adapted very well to the virtual space. I think other nonprofit leaders may be dealing with a double whammy, which is both uh, funding issues as well as how do you implement programs that are largely in person when you don't have that option or you have to, you know, you have to really rethink that. ISPU thankfully did not have that secondary problem. What we do lends itself to virtual uh, programming. So our main uh, question mark is really around the funding. Yes, and you did have reserves in your organization so that the planning didn't have to be so immediate uh, because you did have a cushion. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I would say I that so. is, you know, big piece of advice to all nonprofit leaders out there is really build, um, build that pot of unrestricted cash on hand for these kinds of emergencies. We've learned the hard way in the past um, that that is really necessary. And I think that is what has tided us, you know, it has allowed us to, to carry forward in much the same way throughout the past seven months, because we did have that unrestricted cash on hand. We, we had built up six to eight months, uh, a pretty steady six to eight months of cash on hand. Very, very smart. And if there's any lesson that comes out of these, the crises, both COVID and racial reckoning, uh, that there is a real need to have reserves. And I hope that most nonprofits are really going to embrace that in the future. So you, uh, the organization's board, uh, recently received an award for excellence and the top award uh, from an organization for uh, having an excellent board. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yes, and congratulations uh, to you and all of our fellow board members. Uh, yes, thank you. It, it's, it's such a, a proud moment for that to have taken place, but I just love being on that board of ISPU. Go ahead. <laughs> it is such an amazing honor, and I honestly... I feel like um, a proud mama bear <laughs> um, because I, 
you know, sure, I helped nurture that and I participated in the development of this incredible board. Um, but, but I just participated in it. You know, we have 13 current members of our board and we have something like 15 to 20 past members of our board that have cycled through. And I think every single board member left an indelible mark, right? They, they leapfrogged us into a stronger and stronger board every single time. So this recognition is huge because I think what often happens is nonprofits get more recognized for their programming and their impact, which is incredibly important. I absolutely think that is, is hugely important. Sure. But what often gets forgotten, I think, and I'm so glad you highlight nonprofit leadership, is nonprofit leadership, right? And how important that is and how critical it is to actually effectively carrying out your organization's mission. You simply can't do a good job in your programming if you don't have really professional board members and and leaders within the institution. And I mean leaders at all levels because every single person can be a leader in the realm that they are responsible for. So as a nonprofit leader, what are the kinds of attributes you look for uh, for your board members? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's the, the, there's the things that I think we all think of, which is, you know, what skills do they bring to the table and, um, and those kinds of things. But I actually think in some ways it's the softer skills, not necessarily the hard skills that make me really stand up and notice board potential board members. Um, it's being able to have hard discussions and not being personal about it. It's keeping the mission front and center of everything that you do. It's coming with a genuine desire to make the world a better place in whatever way your organization does that. It's you know, being able to um, see the big picture always and check your ego at the door. Being a board member is not about you. It is not about you as a person or as a board member. It is really about how you can contribute to the organization and effectively achieving its mission. So I think those are some of the things that I that I look for besides the the hard skills which are really helpful too you know mm-hmm. being a lawyer being an accountant being uh, all of those things that one would need to to amass on a nonprofit board. Yes, absolutely. And and those characteristics that you named those soft skills are are very hard to to come by in some instances because people do bring their egos in thinking that their point of view is the most important point of view to have on a board. That is not the mindset that we need. And as a nonprofit leader, have you experienced that? Because not in this organization that you are currently heading, but you have headed up other international organizations. What kind of challenges have you faced with regard to board members not doing what they should be doing? Yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> I think every nonprofit leader has has stories of of that of, of these kinds of challenges. Um, I guess there's a couple of things. You know, ego is definitely one of them. You know, it can be really difficult when you are trying to keep the mission front and center, and you can tell that 
uh, certain board members may be making decisions or suggesting things because it's within their lens. They're looking at it purely through their lens and not really listening or putting themselves in, in, in other people's shoes, I guess, or, or thinking outside of their little box. Um, you know, some of the things that I think nonprofit leaders are find a challenge all the time are just board members doing what they need to do to fulfill their duties. Um, you know, board members are really crucial in supporting development, in getting to know your donors, in um, making connections, whether that's for fundraising purposes or for just partnership uh, purposes. There's a, there's a, there's a number of things that board members are just traditionally supposed to do to, to further the mission. And I think it is really challenging sometimes. Board members are busy. They have lots of things going on in their life. They're board members for a reason. And usually it's because they're civically minded and very civically engaged. And they're very busy. That's that's very, that's very the true. Problem. Yes. <laughs> However, it, yeah. navigating that, uh, how often would you suggest the nonprofit leader meet with their board members? Yeah, people ask me that all the time, actually. We meet quarterly as a full board. Uh, and three of those are virtual. One of them is in person uh, every year. Uh, and then there are committee meetings on the side. I personally think quarterly is enough to meet as a full board. I know nonprofits that meet every single month. And that feels to me like it's getting a little too weedy, uh, unless you're perhaps at the early stage of, a, of, of an institutional uh, development phase. Mm-hmm. Um, I think quarterly is good, but I do try to check in with board members personally every once in a while, too. Yes, that's what I was really getting to. Uh, How often are you checking in with board members uh, as a nonprofit leader? Yeah, I, I don't have a set sort of every single month. I'll check in with every board member, but I think it shakes out to probably be uh, every four to six weeks or six to eight weeks, something around that. Um, Sometimes we'll have more communication, sometimes less. But I think for nonprofit leaders, the important thing to remember is board members are, are people. And whether donors, partners, board members, volunteers, whoever, it's all about cultivating relationships, right? It's just um, it's impossible to lead if you're not spending time nurturing friendships and relationships with the people who you work alongside and board members are part of that team. Absolutely. Now, what I have observed with you is one of your pieces of secret sauce <laughs> is that you communicate very, very clearly uh, with the board on things that are happening, updates, prior to board meetings and between. And what took you in that direction to be able to communicate effectively and often? Um, you know, it's really funny. My, uh, the founder of the organization that I first served as an executive director back in 2004, she told me one day, um, that assumption, she used this phrase that that assumption is the mother of all mess ups. A bad mess ups? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That assuming anything leads to challenges, it leads to problems, it leads to misunderstanding. And I didn't really understood what, I didn't really understand what she meant when she first told me that, because it was very early on in my executive director life. 
I learned really quickly that if you're not in some ways over communicating with the people that you work with and really making sure that they're on the, you know, having a shared understanding of things, um, that it just very quickly devolves into misunderstanding. And so I started learning that and I began, you know, providing monthly written updates to, to board members just to keep them abreast of everything that was going on. Um, we set up a, a WhatsApp group with the board to make sure that if something exciting happened or something terrible, but hopefully more exciting, like the win of the board leadership award, that you could quickly get in touch with people. So we set up multiple mechanisms for that communication to happen. Some of them planned, like the monthly updates and some of them more ad hoc. But I think providing those opportunities both as a group and then cultivating and nurturing relationships as individuals, all of that goes a long way to avoiding the mess ups that can come <laughs> with not having the same information. And, and the big mess ups as your mentor uh, expressed it. Uh, you are high on board retreats. Let's let's talk about your philosophy about that and your approach. Yeah, we do. So at my organization, we have a weekend long board retreat every year. Uh, it usually takes place in October, which is around good season for planning for the following year. I think it's really important. Um, we meet virtually otherwise, and our board is spread out across the country. So it's you know, again, it comes back to cultivating and nurturing relationships and to really being together as you plan some of the more major things that, that are happening in the nonprofit, uh, you know, nonprofit's existence. Um, our board retreats, yes, we get a lot of board business done because it's two full days plus a, an evening get together. So we get a lot done. But I think what makes those board retreats so special is the interpersonal connection. And what develops in that interpersonal connection over those two days carries us forward for the following year of virtual meetings. And without, it, it sounds very technical sort of when you say it, but having been a part of those retreats, it, it's so much fun. Now, we cannot... Um, overrate the importance of good food. <laughs> and the yeah. retreats have had good food. And then you have games and all sorts of icebreakers that uh, make the retreat really worthwhile. Worth, and, and we learn so much from each other. So that's, that's a wonderful model that you've come up with. And, and thank you very much for it. Uh, is this something that you had done in previous organizations or it's something that evolved as you were with this one? Uh, it's evolved over, over both, uh, both organizations that I've led and others that I've worked for. Um, the first organization I served as executive director for, we had a very familial collegial atmosphere uh, among our board and they, it was, I, I was working in Guatemala and the board members would come to Guatemala twice a year where we would spend a very intense three days together. Um, the board, uh, retreats then weren't quite as well developed as the ones I now, uh, work on at ISPU. So I've honed some of that 
throughout the years, but I think it was seeing how much we got accomplished and how really close we all were in this first example that uh, kind of pushed me to further develop that into what we have now. And I agree. One of the, one of the things that we do, which I really love um, is, you know, we don't, we're not a, a, a flush with cash nonprofit. I don't know which one is, but you know, we don't, we don't put a ton of uh, our own funding towards the board retreats. Um, and what we do is we actually ask our board members to adopt a meal And I know that's not possible for all boards um, and it's not possible for all board members. Everybody is in very different financial circumstances, Um, but we have had people adopt meals and sometimes they are very excited to pick the food or the place um, or to pick the activity that we're going to be doing. And that's always really fun because that's always a surprise to me, right? The board member will choose it. Um, and it'll just be a surprise for everybody. And that makes it kind of interesting. It's a great approach. Is fundraising your biggest challenge or are there others? Fundraising is definitely a challenge and it's probably the thing that keeps me up at night, I guess I would say, just because I care so deeply about our work. I care so deeply about achieving our mission and I care so deeply about our people. Um, so that probably keeps me up at night, but Actually, there are two other challenges that I would point to as a nonprofit leader. One is just measuring and and affecting impact. We all get into this business, I think, because we really want to, you know, achieve positive change. And it can sometimes be very challenging to not only pick the best way to do that, develop the best programs and to measure whether you're actually achieving what you set out to do. So I think that is always a big challenge and just something that I am constantly thinking about, you know, how do we do better? How do we, how do we do this and do it even more effectively? And it's a team effort. So how do you, how do you get your staff involved in a way that uh, they are truly engaged? Yeah, I think, um, there are a couple of things. I mean, one is in the hiring process, right? You just have to make sure that everybody you hire really has the mission front and center and is really committed to that, as well as being able to do their job. Um, but another thing is I think that giving people ownership um, and really allowing them to flourish in the sphere that they impact within the organization Uh, whether that's through professional development opportunities or through being part of meetings that maybe aren't quite in their wheelhouse, but like they have great ideas that they can contribute and just having them understand and see how much their piece of the pie affects the whole. Because I think sometimes when you're in certain positions, you maybe don't feel like you're a part of achieving the mission or I, I've seen that happen. I've been in that situation as, as a sort of um, employee where I wasn't really sure that I was making an, a difference. Isn't that the truth? Not seeing where our piece of the work fits into the whole pie is right. so very, very important. And, and instead of just delegating and say, do this without it being connected 
Yeah, that's that's a super important. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think providing that context, right? Just again, over communicating, helping people understand, okay, yes, you may be entering data into a database, but I'm gonna I'm gonna show you what that does. <laughs> you know, to helping us develop partnerships, to helping us develop uh, relationships with our supporters and all of those other things. It's not just about inputting people's addresses. It's yes. so more than that. Yes. You're such a smart and effective leader. Um, we're going to begin to wind this up with uh, something from Inside the Actors Studio, which is a show that I loved and it always ended with uh, questions. But I have one for you from uh, taking a page out of their book. When all is said and done, how would you like to be remembered, Miara? Oh, <laughs> I just want to know that I've made a difference. I really do. I, I come to this work with the philosophy that every single human being um, deserves a chance to thrive. Uh, you know, I come to it uh, with our motto of thriving and equal. And every piece of work that I've done across sectors has been to that purpose, to help humans achieve their potential. I just hope that I have made a difference in that area. Well, indeed you have. Thank you so much for sharing these wonderful nonprofit leadership uh, ideas and philosophies and tips, actually, uh, with us today. Thank you again, Mira. Nonprofit leadership, so very important. And we were so happy to hear from a nonprofit leader who actually makes it happen. I hope you learned a few things. And until next time on Nonprofit Thursdays, visit us at www.thegasbygroup.com. <laughs>